So here on On The Fly Filmmaking, we've talked to producers, directors, makeup artists, production designers. So now you've made a movie. What do you do with it after that? Today, we're going to talk to someone who can help you with just that on On The Fly Filmmaking. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movie. Just us two. Just us. Just you and me, Larry. Okay. We're here. Perfect. Nobody else in the room. Hey, guys. I'm Mary Lou Mandel. Let me talk to them real quick. (laughs) I am your host today for On The Fly Filmmaking. I have a wonderful guest today, Larry LeBeau. Thank you for having me. Super excited to be here. Thank you for joining us. Uh, I know you felt a little weird about the headphones, but... I'm kind of... They're really settling in now. They're really... And you feel warm because it sometimes gets cold in the studio. Exactly. There's an air conditioning vent above us. So yeah. this is this is like being back in Michigan and having earphones on. I like uh, it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, then I'm glad that you're comfortable. We like to make sure our guests feel good and warm in our studio. So Larry is uh, one of the people behind New Filmmakers Los Angeles. So that is a, a film festival here. And it's like a, an entire organization that helps filmmakers develop their work and make their way in the industry here in L.A. So first, uh, I want to chat with you about your career and how you got to this point. Yeah, so I uh, actually started out when I was super young as an actor. Mm-hmm. So I lived in New York City, uh, and I got to go all around the city and go to auditions and work on films and TV shows and commercials and voiceovers and all kinds of stuff that I never knew existed growing up in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, so I spent my teenage years there, um, and I had the luxury of attending this super cool event in New York City called New Filmmakers New York, which is a little bit different taking it back than New Filmmakers LA. So it's mm-hmm. uh, it's housed at Anthology Film Archives. So if you guys are familiar with like the UCLA Film and Television Archive, it's a center for experimental and indie film, but they help to archive stuff that would otherwise get lost. Mm-hmm. So they thought back in 1998, what can we do to support emerging filmmakers instead of only highlighting filmmakers that have you know, already established themselves yeah. and have careers. And so I just kind of fell in love with this uh, with this thing in, in New York. And um, upon moving to Los Angeles, I started a production company uh, with a friend of mine called SXM. Um, and we actually uh, produced a lot of the first original non-derivative series for uh, NBC. Um, we did an original series with Anthony Anderson for Comedy Central. Um, and what does that mean, non-derivative? Non-derivative basically means, uh, so let's say that um, Heroes on NBC wanted to do a digital version of Heroes that was not for television but was for online platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, non-derivative would mean that it's not derivative of property or IP that NBC already has. So original, essentially. Okay. An original series not based off of already existing piece of IP that was on the network. Gotcha. So like you got The Walking Dead and then their other show was Fear the Walking Dead. That, exactly. That's like an example of exactly. that. Exactly. Right that would be derivative. Although um, you would almost say like if Walking Dead were just remade, but it was remade in shorter episodes for online, mm-hmm. that would be like a derivative of Walking Dead for okay. uh, for online. Cool. Yeah. And then that's a neat like way to get inspired where there's like some core things that it already was, exist. It was super amazing because a lot of the projects that we worked on that we took to networks were actually based on short films. Mm-hmm. So they were real filmmakers that went out and made shorts and were at real festivals like New Filmmakers LA and Sundance and South by Southwest and Tribeca. And we saw those films and we took them to networks and basically pitched them as series. Um, so I think at least three of the ones that we made at SXM were based on that. So um, I got uh, super involved in organizations in LA like uh, Film Independent 
And I just felt that there was a need after meeting uh, Susie Kim, who is a co-founder of New Filmmakers LA with me, that we really needed something in Los Angeles to support filmmakers in a festival type environment throughout the year. So um, it really all stems from that that background and that experience. Yeah. And I have over the years been to a few different uh, New Filmmakers LA events. And like the year that I moved, I remember I was like looking up film festivals. I moved here in 2007. Okay. And it was like, so right in the beginning, had just started. And I was like, oh, this looks fun. Like, I bet I bet these are my people. But I was always too scared to go. Really? Yeah. I was like, just too scared to like get involved because I wasn't there yet. Okay. Did you but you did come? Yes, I did go to some events, but I just didn't like participate okay okay yeah. well i'm super glad to hear that yeah isn't um, that crazy like and now here you are on well my show. yeah here we are uh <laughs> 2007 to now so yeah. we're we're very close to year 11 technically that will come in august and mm-hmm. um it's you know we've been through stages of the organization and the organization has really grown and how we're able to help the filmmakers has really grown when we started out i'm sure like most festivals um and i love how you said in the beginning you said it's a festival but it's so much more as yeah. an organization because that's really what we are a lot of people um, who hear about us and who learn about us, they think it's a monthly film festival, but it's not. It's so much more. It's kind of the same same thing that people think when they hear Sundance. They think film festival. There's so much more to Sundance Institute than yes. just the festival. And it's the same with us. You know, We really try to make sure that we're providing opportunities for our filmmakers. We're providing resources for our filmmakers. We're providing educational opportunities uh, throughout the year and connections with industry professionals. And so um, we're we're now at this level as an organization where we really feel like we're able to connect the filmmakers with the right people, the right opportunities and the right kind of funding for their future projects and help them to really just get their work out there and, and get commercial distribution and get their work seen outside of just the festival. Yeah. So at the core of it, we've got a monthly thing that filmmakers can go to, filmmakers and film fans can yep. attend. Uh, people can submit their films. There's different selection process. So you have different uh, categories and things like that. But every month, how many uh, projects are you showcasing? So here's the beautiful thing. Each month, we we typically show less than 15 movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do three feature-length blocks mm-hmm. of program each month. So it typically is like a block of shorts, another block of shorts, and then a feature. And each program runs about 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, if you compare that, to an annual festival, let's say, and and my my numbers could be a little off, mm-hmm. uh, but let's say Sundance. Let's say Sundance screens 150 movies a year, right? So if you look at the new filmmakers model, Sundance happens once a year, all within one week. And, you know, as someone who goes to a lot of these festivals, oftentimes the really small short films tend to get overshadowed by the films at these yeah. festivals that are often like a Fox Searchlight movie or a movie that's very celebrity-driven in terms mm-hmm. of cast um, or that is from an already established, more well-known filmmaker. Um, I always challenge people when I talk to them. Uh, I say, okay, you consider a filmmaker who's gotten into Sundance as a filmmaker who's made it, but how many of the movies that were at Sundance this last year can you name to me? Yes. And most people can't even name three. Mm-hmm. So I um, I think, you know, what makes New Filmmakers LA unique and very special is that we're taking a very, very small number of filmmakers and we're using that same sort of window that you would have at, a, at an annual festival, which is typically like a 45-day to 30-day mm-hmm. lead-up of promotions once the official selections are announced. Right. And instead of having to talk about 150 movies 
and promote 150 movies in 30 days and have people see 150 movies in one week, well, what our model is is to get people to come and see a very small number of movies, but to activate them to come and do it throughout the year. With destination festivals like a Sundance or a Cannes or a Toronto, for an, the L.A. industry audience, which, you know, knock on wood, we're still, most of us are still here in L.A., right? Yeah. And so you have that core industry audience here, and those are the people that you really need to get to come and see your film. And they're going to be willing, of course, to travel to Sundance. Who doesn't love to travel and ski yeah. and take, like a, trip. You know, take a little trip? Yeah. Uh, but we felt like there needed to be something in L.A. that was more consistent because you have some really great festivals in L.A. that have been around for a really long time. You have L.A. Film Festival, I mm-hmm. feel Film Independent. You have AFI Film Festival. Um, you have some great niche festivals that are geared towards specific genres or uh, specific focuses, right? Like you have the Pan-African Film Festival. But we felt, wouldn't there be great if we could do something to really help push filmmakers, independent filmmakers, out to audiences and industry throughout the year? And we have the industry here yeah. in L.A. to come and support it. So we figured, why not? And here we are. Yeah, and, that's, yeah. and I like that it's in, in bite sizes. So those long festivals that are like over a week long you know like i can watch all these films but i'm not going to process anything it's like did did i see that when i don't remember because there was so much i think there's something really special about annual festivals i mean we we partner we partner with sundance next fest Mm -hmm. we partner with film independence la film festival we partner with afi i think there's really something special about the community just coming together and celebrating in a really big way yeah and also there's there's some energy behind that as well definitely to where hey it's only once a year like we've got to get out and we've got to celebrate now Mm -hmm. for this one week but i think it's just two different models Mm -hmm. and i think you know they both serve filmmakers well uh i think it's just that our model tends to serve the filmmakers who might not get as much attention at an annual festival a little bit better Mm -hmm. Yeah, what is the attendance like uh, typically at one of these events? We're pretty full. So we're in a 500-seat theater in downtown L.A., and I'd say we're typically three-quarters full every Mm -hmm. single month. So we've got an average of like five to 600 people throughout each festival event. Right. Um, And you said three 90-minute events. Is that over one day or over a weekend? It's over one afternoon. So basically the way it works, it's it's meant to be very social, the festival. So we open up with a filmmaker lounge, Mm -hmm. and that happens about 45 minutes before the first program. Once that starts, the lounge never closes. So no matter when throughout the night you get there, let's say the event starts at 4.30 with the lounge and our first film program starts at 5.15, no matter when you get there, even if a screening is taking place, you can still hang out in the lounge and socialize until the next screening starts. So the format is pretty much lounge throughout the the festival, and then we've got three back-to-back programs which have little breaks in between and a QA and a after each Mm -hmm. one. Yeah, I think I do remember that. Like uh, one of the events of yours that I went to over the years, I, I had an actress friend who was in something and she's like, okay, okay, I'm in this block. So I just remember we went and there was all like this this lounge. It was like exciting and we could just hang out. There was some other screening happening. And, and, and when we you in. and when you came, was it at Sunset Gower Studios in yes. Hollywood? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're now yeah. we're now in downtown Los Angeles. It's actually year five yeah. as of as of this month, yeah, as a matter right of fact. Um, and so we've moved from being you know, which was awesome on a historic studio lot where filmmakers were super excited and proud to share that history, you know, with all of the iconic yeah. movies and TV shows that have been shot there um, and show their movie there. But now we're in a, a more 
uh, we're in a space that's more conducive to, I think, our audience and to our filmmakers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're really happy where we're at. It's a great size theater for us. If you look at, as well, a lot of festivals, 500 seats, a it's pretty a big lot. theater to be in. Yeah. Um, most festivals, you know, for bigger premiere sort of gala or tribute events um, will be in a five to 1500 seat theater. Mm-hmm. Um, but for most of like a shorts film program or an indie feature, they might get like a two to 300 seat theater mm-hmm. at the most. So it's really great. And it's it's even better when we have that robust audience there of the right kind of people to watch the movies. Right. And then I I love that because it is an ongoing thing when a filmmaker gets their project in there, they can promote it and somebody can look it up and be like, oh, this was not something that just happened a year ago. Like there's a history of it. You can find a track record. Right. What's what's great about it is that it gives a filmmaker an opportunity to have access to a market Mm -hmm. immediately. Right. So if I want to screen my movie in L.A., and it doesn't fit into a genre festival, then I've got to wait right now for LA Film Festival, which is in September, mm-hmm. right? As opposed to you could have submitted to us when you finished last month and you could potentially be screening in July, right? Right. So that's the beautiful thing I think about our model is just that it gives filmmakers an opportunity throughout the year. The other really great thing too, and you know, this isn't, a, a, you know, submission fees exist for every festival. Um, I will say that our submission fees are some of the lowest that I've ever seen in terms of, you know, how much the the Mm -hmm. cost of entry is to to be able to submit your film. But um, we don't have deadlines. Mm -hmm. So you can submit at any time. So with a lot of festivals, you'll see, you know, the early bird deadline was $50 and the extended deadline is 60 and the late deadline is 95 and the ultra late deadline is 120. So we we're not looking as an organization, we're a nonprofit 501c3 and our model is is more based on our supporters and our sponsors and grants that we receive. Our model isn't based on earning revenue to support the organization from filmmakers or from uh, attendees. Mm-hmm. That's you know something that we really pride ourselves in, and our tickets are five dollars yeah. to come to our events. It's so, super accessible, and like were you saying, like I could submit now, my film could play next month. Do people tend to use it as like a testing ground for before applying to other festivals? You know, I think I think filmmakers, like I said, they really want access to the LA market. Mm-hmm. It's really important for filmmakers. You have most of the distributors are here, most of the literary agents are here, yeah. studios are here, networks are here, financiers are here. So it's it's very competitive to get into a Sundance. There's only so many films a year that gets it get in, and there's you know thirteen thousand films a year that are submitted. Yeah, and um, you know we really only have a few other festivals in LA that I think filmmakers know can help to put them on the map or get the right audience there. And so I think, you know, filmmakers, of course, are and need to be very strategic about their festival strategy. Um, But, you know, I wouldn't get your hopes up as a filmmaker that you're going to get into Sundance or South by. I know some really amazing films that we've shown that have gotten into those festivals, but I also know some really amazing films that we've shown that did not get into those festivals. So um, I think, you know, being strategic is important with your festival strategy. Um, We have really good word of mouth Mm -hmm. and our filmmakers who have been, you know, we've had over 2,500 filmmakers the past Ten and a half years. Mm-hmm. And so that word really starts to spread. And so maybe in the beginning, 
we we might have had more people who sort of wanted to test the waters or maybe they didn't get into other festivals so then they came to us but now because of that that recommendation that filmmakers are getting from other filmmakers that they trust i think we've seen a lot more people who are coming to us specifically for a premiere yeah. of their movie and are really excited about having new filmmakers allied behind their movie. So mm-hmm. that's definitely been something we've seen grow over the years. So they're premiering with you, and then do, do they submit to you specifically saying, I would like to premiere here? Or they submit just as if they're going in the festival. Yeah. This happens to be the first place it's being shown. Yeah, they, okay. they submit you know, pretty much like, like they would with anything else. And you know what most filmmakers do, and I recommend this, um, is... Really put together your strategy. I always say to filmmakers, you should know your festival strategy before you even make the film. And quite honestly, you should really know what the film is supposed to serve as a purpose for you as a filmmaker, right? Right. Some filmmakers just want to show what they can do. Some filmmakers want to use a short to give it as a presentation for a feature. Some people want to use it as a pilot for a TV show or a web series, you got to be very specific about what your goal is for making that film. And then based on what your goal is for making that film is going to determine what kinds of festivals you want to get it into. And filmmakers honestly also really have to just do their research. Mm -hmm. Um, You're not going to submit a drama to a festival if you've done research that typically screens comedies, right? Or a majority of such as comedies. And you're not going to submit your film to Scream Fest if it's not a horror movie, right? right? It's not going to fit. Yeah, it doesn't fit. So I always recommend that to filmmakers. Um, I think it's really, really important. And them being strategic and working in alliance with a festival that they might get in really helps. And and going back to your point, um, the, 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 in terms of when to submit, I think I, I personally would recommend a filmmaker choose all of the festivals that they think could help them and submit to all of them at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then just decide, like if you get, you know, an offer, most, most shorts, don't have premiere requirements at other festivals. If you made a feature, you've got to be a little more strategic about where you premiere. So if you really think you have a shot at getting into Sundance or South by or Tribeca and those have premiere requirements, then you've got to be willing to wait if a festival like New Filmmakers calls you and says, hey, we want to program your film. The only thing filmmakers have to be aware of is, well, we don't have some sort of policy where we want to premiere a film we want to help you as a filmmaker premiere or not but at the same time we have a lot of people that we want to program movies from so if a filmmaker you know is is accepted into our festival and we call them and we say hey we want to program this for march and they're like oh well i'm waiting for south by can we hold off until june and we say okay and then they we call them again in june and we're like okay we're ready to program you for july and they're like well i want to wait for this other fest then after a few attempts it's Mm -hmm. like okay now the film's getting older we've got other stuff that's fallen by the wayside so that i mean that happens and that happens at festivals (laughs) even when that situation doesn't happen there are a lot of films that programmers at other festivals and our festival that that uh people want to place and they just hold on to it and hold on to it and hold on to it and want to put it yeah in. but eventually it just doesn't make it it's not <laughs> it's it doesn't like dating. fit it just doesn't <laughs> fit in the program sometimes you yeah. know so you know because that's one of the challenges i think for for programmers especially at our festival and i know at many of the others is they're curating a shorts lineup right yeah. so they want a balanced shorts program um, because you're going to have people from all different walks of life in mm-hmm. the audience and they want something that really works well and uh, 
And so you try and try and try, and sometimes it just doesn't fit. And I think it's a little bit harder for a festival in our format because mm-hmm. we, we can hold on to something and, you know, say maybe next month, maybe next month, right. maybe next month. See where it fits into the, the program, yeah. Yeah, but mostly, you know, if a film is has an amazing story, great performances, um, we'll find a way to make it work. Gotcha. All right, well, we've got a little video to show that uh, can give you some insight as to what New Filmmakers LA is all about. It's 10 years. Congratulations. Still on that 10 years, technically. Yes, still within that, right? So uh, if you guys are listening on audio and you didn't get to see that, you can find that on the MFMLA YouTube page. They also have a lot of other fun videos and resources on that channel on their YouTube page. So on there, you also have all these interviews with the filmmakers. So tell me about that project. So that's that's one of the really important things that we do. If, If anyone out there is a publicist or anyone out there, which most of you are, filmmakers, yeah. you will know that once you make a film, it is super, super hard to promote. And yeah. it's especially hard to get legitimate press to write about your small, independent movie. No matter how great it is, it's difficult, right? So we partnered, um, geez, I think it was maybe the second year, 2008, with the Los Angeles Film Critics Association and Movie Maker Magazine to have hosted film critic interviews, which would be published on Movie Maker Magazine's website every single month as a guaranteed piece of press that our filmmakers could walk away with. And it also serves as a super great educational piece for anybody out there who wants to hear from filmmakers who are on the festival circuit, hear about their process of making their movie, how did they do their casting, how did they come up with their story, where did they find their locations. We cover it all in the interview series, and it's great. You just get to know... You know, you get to know your peers who are out there and other people who are making movies and their experiences. And, you know, I think as a filmmaker, um, it's it can be a daunting, challenging and sometimes lonely uh, process in trying to you know push a movie forward, especially if you're a writer, director or producer. And once you get your team together and you start shooting it all is it all becomes worth it. Yes. Um, but I think, you know, being able to hear from other people and learn from other people's mistakes and learn what worked and what didn't is part of what we all love about filmmaking. Yeah. Um, and so these interviews, I think, you know, serve a purpose 
for everybody. Yeah, I think they're really useful, and it's exactly the type of stuff that we cover here in people who are interested in filmmaking and people who are already filmmaking. There's something for you to learn just from other people's experiences. So I think it's super valuable and a really great return on investment for your people who get into the festival. Exactly, yeah. I mean, it's. It, I think for most filmmakers, it's really important that when they get off the festival circuit, they walk away with some press coverage mm-hmm. um, because when they go to seek funding for their next movie, that's one of the big questions. It's like, show me how you're last movie did what festivals did you get into what press covered your movie did you make any money back did you you know did you get distribution so these are all things that we really try to help the filmmakers with and and distribution is another big one um we work with shorts hd uh which is the biggest and only television uh shorts network um so we license a pretty high percentage of our shorts to shorts hd um we don't license them to them the filmmakers do but we mm-hmm. help to facilitate that right. happening you make the connection um, we also work with seed and spark which i i you are you familiar with seed and spark no what is that so that's a partner of ours and i i highly recommend that everybody out there check out seed and spark it's pretty it's a pretty amazing organization as well as a platform for distribution of indie films. Uh, the, the part of it that I really love is the fundraising platform of Seed and Spark. So um, I won't get too much into it because I don't want to tell their business model right. uh, inappropriately, but I'm, I'm fairly certain that I've heard it quoted um, that their crowdfunding platform that they have has been more effective for a lot of filmmakers than other crowd for, uh, crowdfunding platforms that are out there. Um, and I will say that I teach a class at the San Francisco Art Institute in San Francisco, and I had the Seed and Spark team come in um, and do, it was about a two-hour workshop and presentation on crowdfunding and crowdfunding strategy for independent film, and it was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. Yeah, so, that's great. Yeah, it's seedandspark.com, seed like flower seed and spark like a sparkle. Seedandspark.com. And we've talked to a few different guests about crowdfunding through other uh, more well-known means, at the, and it didn't work so well for them. Right. So you, this one seems to be focused on filmmakers. You, yeah, and you really also, you have to know that, which you'll learn, I'm sure, if you check out Seed and Spark, you, you have to know that it's really that is a campaign and it is a full-time job leading up to the campaign Mm -hmm. and during the campaign. And it's sort of in most circumstances, a full-time job for quite a while after the campaign, right? Because you have backers who you've made promises to, you might have to deliver t-shirts, you might have to make sure they're put into the credits of the film. You might have to give them an onset visit, whatever it is that you promised. I mean, those are all you things that execute all add up. Things. Right. Exactly. So, uh, it is a full-time job, you know, it's a way to go. And I've, we've seen a lot of filmmakers, as a matter of fact, our board member, Varda Barkar, uh, you can catch her feature. Um, she's a two two or three-time alumni of New Filmmakers LA, and she joined our board, I, I want to say, after being alumni back in 2013 or 14. And she partially made a feature documentary with some funding that she received from New Filmmakers LA through an award that she had won before she was a board member. And she received the rest of it through crowdfunding and she managed to raise this money and now you can see her documentary feature on Netflix. Netflix bought the documentary, which is amazing. And so we've seen it done successfully um, and we see, you know, a lot of the films that come through our festival have raised their money through crowdfunding. Long term, I don't know, you know, how sustainably we can all keep hitting up our friends for money to fund our films, but I think, you know, while it lasts, it's great. 
Right, definitely. Okay, so for your festival specifically, I want to talk about uh, the requirements that someone would have to meet in order to apply and some best practices like tips and tricks that you have for these filmmakers. Okay, great. So with our festival, we're looking for the definition. I'll I'll talk a little bit about what is the definition of a new filmmaker. Mm -hmm. Um, It is not an amateur filmmaker. We're not looking for a poorly made film. We're not looking for a poorly executed story. We're not looking for poor production value, though we can be forgiving on the production value if the story and the performances Mm -hmm. are amazing. Um, We're looking for independent filmmakers. That is our definition of New Filmmakers LA is a truly independent filmmaker. It doesn't mean you can't already have representation. It doesn't mean that you can't already have had some success in your career or be employed at a company where you're a producer on bigger movies. We're just looking for independently made stories. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you could be a student. You could be first time. You could be young. Uh, We have the full spectrum of filmmakers from all walks of life and all backgrounds and at all different points in their career. The one thing they all have in common, though, is that they are all truly independent movies, right? So that's the first first qualification. Uh, Secondly, we're looking for films that have been released, meaning finished post-production, not necessarily released as in had their first public screening, but have finished post-production in the last year. Our cutoff is the last year. So you've got to have completed post-production in the last year. And how we sort of check up on that is we will Google the film once it, you know, makes it past our our jury, uh, our programmers for the festival. And um, once we're considering actually placing it at the festival, we'll do a Google search. We'll look to see when it was published. For example, if it is published on Vimeo or YouTube, it would be disqualified it's, if it's publicly available for viewing. That's a really important thing mm, okay. that filmmakers have to be aware of for us. But but even more importantly, for if you do want to get into a bigger festival like Sundance, you will be automatically disqualified if right, the film... Because it cannot have been seen elsewhere. It should not be put online without a password until after the festival circuit is over. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what I would recommend to most filmmakers in this case is try to cannibalize as much as you can, as many festivals as you can. And once you've exhausted your efforts there, then put it online. You have to really have... a. It, comes back to that plan what do you what's your purpose for making this movie what do you want it to achieve for you you really have to have a release strategy and you know studios have these same release strategies it's theatrical it's vod it's it's you know tv so you have to have that same sort of windowing for your release um so that's really important that makes sense because nobody's going to go see avengers in the theater if they could have just seen it on youtube exactly exactly so uh we've got you should be a an independent filmmaker. It needs to have been uh, finished post-production in the last year. Uh, it should not have been released online. Um, that's that's most of our criteria. Uh, we look at features. We look at shorts. We look at docs. We look at animated films. We typically, from time to time, screen music videos. Um, so we're, we're looking for everything. Um, and pretty much nothing would really disqualify you outside of those those things that I mentioned. Okay, and then month to month, are you curating based on a theme? So we have a really great program mm-hmm. every single month. Uh, going back to those three blocks mm-hmm. of programming each month, one of those blocks is always what's called uh, In Focus Program. And In Focus is our initiative on international cinema and diversity. Mm-hmm. One of the first things I always tell people right away is that don't think that just because we do in focus black cinema 
in February or in focus female cinema in March or in focus Latino and Hispanic cinema in September that we don't screen movies about and from that community throughout the, the entire rest of the year. We do. That is a but good point to make. Because, it's like, very important. To connect and that. it's, you know, it's interesting because it's one of the things when we were talking internally about establishing something that was more of a signature spotlight on filmmakers of color or filmmakers from a certain region or filmmakers of a certain gender is we didn't want it to come across like we're creating this because these filmmakers are not good enough to screen in a program that everybody can screen in. That's not the case. What we wanted to do in in our thinking behind In Focus is we wanted to create just a very inclusive environment where everyone felt like they were being celebrated and especially those who might not have as much visibility, especially in LA. You know, you look at it from less of a diversity perspective and more of just a point of view perspective. We want to make sure that like everybody's point of view is represented Mm -hmm. and that we are able sometimes to put a label on that and say, hey, this is something that we feel reflects a voice that you don't get to hear as often and we want to curate a program around that. So mm-hmm. that is a staple program for us. It happens every single month with at least one program. So it's a balance, right? We're keeping most of the programming open to anybody who submits and we're curating the specific program again based on region and based on uh based on diversity. So that happens every month and it's been it's been an amazing program. We now have the Oscars on board for two of these programs every year. Uh, this will be the third year that the Oscars has hosted and been a co-presenter of our Latino and Hispanic cinema program. So for the last two years, we hosted that at the Mary Pickford Center, which is the Academy's Hollywood home. And we just got news about a month ago that this year they're going to move it to the 1,000-seat Beverly Hills nice. Samuel Goldwyn Theater. Congratulations. Um, thank you very much. Yeah, we're really excited. And we had an amazing lineup last year. We had films from Cuba, Venezuela, Peru, Mexico, Guatemala, Spain, East Los Angeles, West LA. I mean, it was really an amazing lineup. And we had all of our filmmakers here from all of these different countries. Right. It was it was pretty pretty amazing. And then for these spotlight uh, months, does is the requirement that the topic is featuring these things or just that the filmmakers are of so the spotlight? The filmmaker can be of that region or of that gender or of that color. It could be that the cast is representative of that. It could be that the story is representative mm-hmm. of that. So I'll give you a great uh, example. Um, this is something we were talking about out in the lobby is one of our filmmakers, Sarah Clift. She is as white as it gets. She mm-hmm. is from the UK. She is, she will blind you. She is very white. <laughs> Uh, Sarah, no offense, but you've joked about this with me, so I get to say that. But um, but she's a lovely human being, and she lives part-time in Mexico City. Mm-hmm. And she made this film in Spanish featuring an all-Mexican cast, and it deals with the topic of being Latino through a casting crew and story that are Mexico City-based. And so she was part of our Latino and Hispanic cinema program last year, as well as was Douglas Cushing, who also made a film in Spanish, which was an all all Latino cast. Mm-hmm. So it's really reflective more so of the content. The content, okay. But it's a mix of both. So sometimes we may have a film by somebody who's of color who has nothing to do with that theme. It may right. even be a film in our black cinema program that's an all-white cast, but it was mm-hmm. made by a black director. Or vice versa. Right. It's made by a white director, it's all black cast, or it's a story that we feel 
is representative of the black community at large. So it can we're we're very open. Yeah, it seems like you guys are very flexible in your programming. A uh, question for you, and it's okay if you don't have this yet. What month is uh, Amer- Asian American month? You just missed it. Okay. It was in April. Okay. Yeah. So our months. So I'll catch it next year. Yeah, our months. Our months generally coincide with uh, things that are going on uh, in the calendar, right? Mm-hmm. So you have International Women's Day in March. You have Black History Month in February. You have Pride in mm-hmm. June. So you will be. You will be here for Pride. Okay. You can come to our June 23rd Pride event, which we would love to have you at. And one of the really special things I think that is in our nature, it's just part of what New Filmmakers is all about, is we want to bring the film community together. We're not about, like, we have to premiere this. We don't collaborate with other festivals. So when I mentioned that we work with AFI and we work with Film Independent, we specifically throughout the year we'll do that for our in focus programs so for example in march we worked with women in film the alliance of women directors film fatales in june we'll be working with outfest on our lgbt cinema program Mm -hmm. so we uh we worked with the la asian uh, pacific film festival on our asian program in april so we are all about being very i'm sorry it wasn't even in april it was it was this month yeah you just missed it like two weekends ago yeah Yeah, it was may um and and it was it was uh it's it was an amazing event, and it's just something that we love doing is – look, we don't want to reinvent the wheel, right? So we feel that if we're going to do a program on a certain subject as an, a broad reach organization, why shouldn't we bring in those in the community that are out there all year long advocating for that specific totally. subject? Totally. It, so, it really makes a lot of sense to partner like that because – Everyone, we're just all creative people that want to make nice things. Right. You know, so let's work together and do that and like help each other do that. And I love that in each month. That's just one of the three. So each month you're still focusing, you're, you're still showcasing other films as well. Absolutely. So it's just one block of programming that is it's a minimum, highlighting. It's a minimum of one sometimes. Mm-hmm. If we just have so much amazing content that ref- is reflective of that group, we've gone to we've gone as far as programming all three blocks that we feel are representative and curatorial of that specific theme. Um, so for September, for example, last year, like I said, we had some, we had some white filmmakers in that program, but the entire three blocks of, of programs were reflective of Latino and Hispanic cinema. Yeah. And one of those three ways. Yeah, that's great. And I, and it's, what are, what are some of the other months that you have? Wow. Any, like, lesser-known so ones? we do a veteran cinema program. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, we do uh, counter-ageism. Mm-hmm. So that's exploring uh, basically ageism through film. Uh, we do a Middle Eastern cinema program. We're going to be doing this year a Dutch cinema program. We're doing, in July, a Canadian cinema program. We're doing Developing Nations in August, which is going to be amazing. It's the first time we're doing that. Um, so a little bit of everything. That's so yeah. great. And I love yeah. that it, it, it does really seem, like I said, you're open and you guys are developing all the time. So uh, on that note, for developing, so over the past 10 years, mm-hmm. what have you seen as far as trends and changes in this level of the industry? You know, I think that um, digital platforms have really kind of changed the game for people. Yeah, I think content creators not i don't i'm using that word instead of filmmakers because i feel like there's so many new kinds of content creators and i'm not even thinking right now of like vr or ar i'm just thinking literally of like web platforms that have given people new ways to create content including very 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 short form content 
I feel like um, in terms of getting your work out there, it's become a bit more challenging, especially if you're like a narrative or doc filmmaker, because I think we've all been flooded as viewers with just so much content that we're kind of contending with of like, what do we watch and where do we watch it? And then you have the big players of, of streaming content and, yeah. and, you know, VOD platforms and SVOD platforms like Netflix. And I think um, there's just a lot out there. So I think, you know, filmmakers, and I've said this before, filmmakers really have to find a way to cut through the clutter But I think, again, that goes back to what I said earlier, which is, like, what is the purpose of you making this film? Right, and I think that's, like, the key takeaway of everything that you've said so far is, like, when you're making a film, you have to figure out very, very early what is the point of the film, not necessarily the story, but of the project. What do I want to achieve? Mm -hmm. What what is this project going to do to help me continue my career as a filmmaker? Because let's be honest, most filmmakers, especially independent filmmakers, do not make their money back on their mm-hmm. project you really in 99 percent of the circumstances do not make your money back on a short film right and so some filmmakers are out making a short film for a couple thousand dollars and other are out others are out making it for 50 60 70 thousand dollars so if i'm gonna make that film for even 10 or 15 thousand dollars that's a pretty significant investment mm-hmm. and i'm not gonna probably expect to get that money back so what is that going to do to help my career progress? Is that going to get me paid work as a commercial director? And that's something that is part of my plan for how I'm going to, you know, build my skills and get myself out there and, and, and create revenue working as a filmmaker instead of working at a Starbucks or in an office. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I just think it's really important. I think, you know, get, if you, if you say like, I just want to get my name out there as a filmmaker and I want to go on the festival circuit, I don't think that's it's not, enough. It's not specific enough. I don't think it's enough. Yeah. Because you have to play, you know, make your move. You have to you have to know, like, I'm I want this to get me representation. I mm-hmm. want to allow this piece to reflect my work and allow me to get funding and show people what I can do for my next project. Like it has I think it's gotta be very specific. Yeah. And it can be multiple things. But you've got to, I think you've got to be strategic about how you're going to get there. Right, right, right. Yeah. No, okay, all right. So then as far as strategy goes, uh, when somebody is applying to your festival or another festival, what are some common mistakes that okay, you this see? Okay, this is a big one. Okay. So preparedness. Please. Festival <laughs> preparedness. And what I mean by that is, um, is assets, okay. right? So deliverables. If you made a TV show or a movie with a studio or a network, you're going to have a list of deliverables that have got to be delivered at the end of production, right? When you wrap post, like a network's going to need a whole laundry list of like artwork and trailers and different video sizes for different platforms. Mm -hmm. Um, We at festivals, it's the same thing. And you've got to be ready to deliver those immediately because most festivals will notify, you know, maybe 60 to 30 days before the actual festival date. A lot really quite honestly like 40 so you're really getting pretty close and one of the things that we chronically have an issue with is communication with the filmmakers and getting them to deliver what it is they need to deliver on time and and the way that we tell them we need it delivered so what that does at a festival is it is it creates doubt in your ability to deliver 
And so, like, we've had some filmmakers that have come through the festival where we've had such a rough experience, like, communicating with them or getting them to show up where they're supposed to show up, like, for an interview or getting them to deliver the right kind of asset where it's like, you know, we need a 1920 by 1080 HD MOV H264 and they deliver, like, just something completely different. Right. You know, and so that's that makes it tough because that makes you second guess you know, helping the filmmaker after the festival of, you know, maybe making a connection to someone. Right. I want to introduce you to this person, but I don't trust that you're going to show up correctly. Yeah, I think that's yeah. and I think that I just think that's really important. Your assets are super important to to be prepared for a festival. And also, again, not to keep going back to it, but going back to your your goal and preparedness, you really have to know once you're about to submit to a festival what do what do I want from that specific festival even? Like, yeah. what is my goal there? Am I going? Am I inviting people that I really want my want to see my movie in a theatrical setting and to legitimize my movie at a festival? Um, how am I going to promote it? Uh, how much time do I have to allocate to promoting it? Do I have people who are going to help me promote it? Um, am I going to reach out to press and use this as an opportunity to say, hey, my film's in this festival and try to spin a story around it? I mean, the filmmakers who get the most out of any festival, I, I like to use the the phrase the squeaky wheel, like the squeaky wheel gets the oil because the filmmakers who, and not just being a squeaky wheel for no reason, you don't want to annoy somebody, but you do want to explore all options and really try to to take every avenue to promote your film as best as you can. So I will not name the festival, but... Um, at SXM, the production company that I am the president of production at, we had been at a very one of the top three largest festivals in the United States. And I think most of the press that we got was because we just kept going. We yeah. were doing our outreach on our own, even though we knew the festival was going to get tons of coverage because everybody goes and everybody talks about it. And lo and behold, most of the press that we got was from us. And it's not to say that the festival's not doing their job, but the festival has to promote 150 movies. And in our you case... you can focus on yours. In our case, we're lucky. We only have to promote 15. But still, we really need that special story behind the movie and behind the person who wrote or directed the movie in order to get out and tell that special story to press. Yeah. And we want to work in tandem with the filmmaker to do that. Yeah, and I could imagine that if you if you come prepared and you have all this marketing material ahead of time, it just makes it easier for the festival absolutely people to to help you. High resolution stills, and we don't mean just you know freeze frames from the movie. We mean actual like you know stills on set, stills behind mm-hmm. the scenes, stills. We want a press kit. You know, you got to tell your story as a filmmaker um, and get people excited about your content. A compelling trailer is helpful. Um, you know. Once we get to our jury stage, we do have industry professionals who watch the movies in their entirety. But if if we're sending it out to hundreds of press, there's no press people that are going to watch an entire movie. But getting them to watch a trailer that really grabs their attention might compel them to watch right. the entire movie. So mm-hmm. I think those are the things that are really important. Um, that that preparedness and having your assets ready to go. Right. Um, so some of those assets. Okay, so just to recap in case people missed it. Uh, you want production stills. You want production stills. Like behind the scenes stuff, which I always tell people all the time. I'm like, take photos when you're on set. I'm usually that person and I like give it to the You want the a press kit, mm-hmm. which is is uh, commonly referred to as an EPK, electronic press kit. Mm-hmm. You want to definitely have multiple formats of your film ready to be delivered. So and what are some in, of these multiple formats? 
uh, MOV, uh, M- MP4. Technic- MP4. Yeah. Uh, you want to have a few different codecs of mm-hmm. your film available depending on where it's screening. Most festivals only screen from DCP, so you need to have a, a DCP prepared for sure. Uh, digital cinema projector mm-hmm. is what that stands for. Um, and uh, a synopsis. Um, a log line for the movie. Usually, you know, you want a few different synopsis. You want one that's maybe a longer synopsis, one that's a one-sentence synopsis, mm-hmm. and maybe a couple-sentence synopsis. Um, f- different festivals will, you know, request different things from you in terms of that. And we we also request from our filmmakers when they get in, we want a, a headshot of the director we want a headshot of the producer. We want a headshot of the writer. We want the contact information for all of those people. So one of the things that we commonly run into is we will um, encounter a filmmaker who has gone into the festival, but they're traveling mm-hmm. or they're off somewhere shooting their next movie and they can't get us they can't get us the stuff that we need. And, and that should be already on a cloud folder yeah. somewhere like you should have this already it's like a dropbox link exactly before you even start that doesn't applying. expire right. where everything's there and everything you think we could possibly need is there mm-hmm. and it's all very clearly labeled i mean that's just really important and i see it hurt filmmakers constantly yeah that they don't that they're not ready for that yeah that's really great so then i feel i feel like then the best tips that you've given today like lots of lots of great information on the film circuit and or the film festival circuit and yours in particular but what i heard a lot from you is have a purpose for your film have a what plan do you, what do you want to accomplish what is the plan and then have your assets ready which is goes along with part of the plan like make it easy for the people you are sending the video to to help you with it absolutely because like i could imagine if you have like you've got two pretty good films one of them is just like, oh, yeah, here's my movie. I don't know, but I'm flaky. I don't really answer. This other one is good. Also, here's a folder with everything. Whatever you might need is already ready. You would definitely sway towards this guy I think, or gal. I think anybody, mm-hmm. no matter what your business is, yeah. would want to work with the person who instills confidence in them. And also, the person who's going to reflect well upon the festival and who's going to take advantage of the opportunity. You know, what we do is a lot of work. And a lot of passion goes into this. And we have a lot of supporters who, you know, put funding into helping run this organization. And any festival will tell you we want to give the opportunity to amazing storytellers, but we want to give the opportunity to a storyteller who's going to take advantage of it. And take advantage of it means, you know, really exploiting every opportunity that comes along with the festival and doing it in a super timely manner. Good. Good. Really awesome advice. Thank you so much for sharing. Is there any other tips you have for our filmmakers out there? Uh, You know, I think I I would say that networking is very important and, you know, really asking people to come out and check out your content or asking people to take a meeting. Just not even the word networking, you know, outreach really for yourself as a filmmaker is very important because nobody else is going to do that for you. Um, And so, you know, you get lucky with an organization like New Filmmakers where we actually do really look at our alumni and really as we're talking to industry professionals, we're really trying to place filmmakers with opportunities. But I think filmmakers, especially now, really have to kickstart that on their own. And it it actually even translates to actors, right? Before, you could just have an agent and be an actor. Now you look, almost every actor is, is creating their own content. So it's that same 
sort of will to kind of push and propel yourself forward. Um, because as a filmmaker, if you just make film, unless you're super lucky and super talented, it's not usually enough. Yes. So that would be a lasting piece of advice that I would I would leave everybody with. Fabulous. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. So many good nuggets of information. Uh, if you guys have not subscribed yet, you can do so on the Popcorn Talk YouTube page. You can also listen to this show on iTunes, on the fly filmmaking. You can check out Larry's Film Festival at newfilmmakersla.com if you want to know more about that organization. Lots of good information on there. And definitely go and check out one of the events if you're here in L.A. So Thank you. Yeah, thank you. We'll see you. Uh, we'll see you in June. Yes, we will. Yeah. All right, and I am Mary Lou Mandel. I'll see you guys next time on On the Fly Filmmaking. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. Views expressed here and are those of the host only do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners and principals.